This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego. Providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Woolsey. Just about 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning about your money, the economy, finance, investing, and all those important things to help you grow your net worth. And with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How you doing? Good morning. Doing well. Well, good, good. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, as always, I'll get the phone numbers now so that you can be ready about, uh, oh, probably around 820, I think, is when we start taking calls. Phone numbers here for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Well, Chase, we got to start off with that big jobs number you know people say what what's he talking about big jobs number well it's always a big jobs number because it's so important to know what's going on with the jobs reports when they come out and the economy uh the headline jobs number missed uh may look like it's a bad thing a troublesome thing there but overall there are several positives in the report to start the negative in the headline number was well saw a gain of 194,000 workers which uh badly missed the estimate of 500,000 workers much of the miss came from the government education uh, as locals saw a decline of 144,000 workers. And that's local uh, uh, education. What's that? Local education. Ed- yeah, schools. like uh, yeah. I want to say municipalities, you know, things like that. Local education, yeah. like uh, Poway School District, which not to <laughs> say they yeah. are, but that type of thing. And then the state saw a decline of 17,000 workers. Private education, I was surprised on this one, was also struggling with a decline of 19,000. In the report, it was pointed out that pandemic-related staffing fluctuations in public and private education have distorted the normal season hiring and layoff patterns. Because well, isn't it interesting? Most of the time in September, they have a huge wave of hiring. And it, it seems as if the pandemic has kind of just caused these interesting fluctuations, which really distorted the numbers. So uh, that was an interesting point. The, the thing that I... Uh, was most surprised by is to see a decline of 18,000 workers in healthcare as job losses in nursing and residential care facilities declined by 38,000. And I was shocked by this. Hospitals saw a decline of 8,000. And I, I, I do wonder here if nurses are feeling burnt out after a year of COVID. I, I mean, it, it was stressful. I know yeah. a lot of nurses. And also, too, I, I've seen a lot in the news about these vaccine mandates and, you know, nurses deciding to quit or getting fired over it. So I don't know if that's what's causing it. I I, I don't want to get too political with it, but it is something that I don't think is helping the situation. Right. So I, I was shocked by that number to see that the healthcare have that substantial cl- decline. But uh, areas that were strong in the port and, and kind of going back to the, the I'm going to call it the, the public sector is we saw job losses there, but the private sector actually was quite strong. And I mean, areas in particular included leisure and hospitality. That was up 74,000. That group was just decimated during the pandemic. Professional and business services saw an increase of 60,000. Retail trade up 56,000. And this one's so important, transportation and warehousing. We know that has been a real struggle to yeah. supply chain and the economy <clears throat> up 47,000. 
manufacturing, another area that's really, really crucial to, I think, the inflation potential headwinds and the supply chain issues. That was up 26,000. And also, too, wanted to point out, revisions for the prior two months on increase of 169,000. We had a huge miss on the report. Like I said, you can almost recoup that yeah. if you take away the public sector job losses and also the increase of 169,000 workers for the prior two months. So that was huge. And I think that's what really aided the unemployment rate. Rate was saw a post-pandemic low of 4.8%, which beat the estimate of 5.1%. And wage inflation also remained strong as average hourly earnings were up 4.6% compared to last year. So again, a lot of negative. And I, I was watching it on, on, in the news in the morning and a lot of pessimism. But uh, I was even shocked to see Larry Kudlow come out. And, you know, he's not the biggest fan of this administration. Right, right. But he, <clears throat> it wasn't bad. And I agree. Yeah, and, and it wasn't bad. And uh, when you look at what's going on, and it, w- one thing I do want to point out is I do hate the term job creation. <laughs> job <I think> recouping. <laughs> recouping, <laughs> recouping, replacement. I mean, w- whatever it is. We're, we're just getting back to the jobs that we lost about a year ago. So, But it is good to see that, that being done, that jobs are coming back. And there's a lot of ripples that you have to kind of deal with one you know the wages aren't as high as people want uh they've saved some money uh maybe they don't want to go back to work i still hear oh i don't want that job i want my dream job well okay maybe that's going to happen uh eventually for you but it's just very difficult to deal with it but it's a it's a positive report overall because we are getting jobs back that we lost about a year ago and uh one thing i think is going to happen is that people will feel better uh, you you know, if, if you're working and you're focused on something else, you're not at home uh, watching that. We just talked about before squid, squid games on Netflix. I, I'm I, I'm sorry. I saw that. I don't know why it's number one. I think it's very poorly produced. It kind of like uh, we're kind of joking. It's like the old uh, uh, Godzilla things where the yeah. voices don't quite match up. The, the acting, I think, is not that good. Uh, why does Netflix get I'm like, oh, it's number one? Like. I'm saying this because I think people are at home. They have nothing better to do than watch these poorly produced shows. Well, it's like reality <laughs> TV. You know, I, I'm not the biggest fan of reality yeah. TV. Some people love it. So, I mean, we're not show critics by any means. Yeah. But, hey, I don't understand a lot of things that people like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just And I, I did see a report this past week that the average person uh, in the United States right now across the country watches 3.1 hours of TV per day. Wow, yeah, yeah, and and so my thinking is that if and if you're home all day, that's pretty easy to do. But if you get up, you go to work, you come home, you eat dinner. I guess that's not too bad. You watch TV from seven to ten, you go to bed. So yeah, I guess yeah. So well, hey, more more good news on the COVID nineteen uh, defense front. A drug company Merck has come out with a pill that can be taken by people at home, and this is similar to taking Tamiflu for the flu. Uh, Merck's drug is called. Oh shoot, I should have given this to you. Malapanava. What do you think? Molin Piravere. Piravere. That looks uh, good. Yeah, that, I feel yeah, like that, that I, wasn't yeah, a bad, be, right? bad attempt. We'll see if somebody calls <laughs> in like, no, it's not that. It's something else. But <laughs> it's about, uh, what, 13, 14 letters in there. Uh, anyways, uh, as with many drug names, uh, please don't ask me how to pronounce it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, the, the other drugs that reduce hospitalization or death require uh, the infusions. Uh, which, you know, I, I think kind of deter people from it because it's like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. The pills, a lot easier. And Merck is hoping for FDA approval by the end of this year. Instead, it expects to produce 10 million courses of treatment 
by the end of the year, and the U.S. government has agreed to buy 1.7 million courses of treatment for $1.2 billion. So, um, you know, I, I think this is just a, another tool in the, the shed, so to speak, that, yeah. that we can use to to move on from this pandemic. And, you know, I I, I want to go back to the unemployment rate. I mean, talking mm-hmm. about moving on from the, the pandemic is if you would have asked us back in April or asked anyone uh, if we would have had an unemployment rate of 4.8% during the height of the pandemic, people would have thought you were crazy. Oh, yeah. Now you're taking on April of this year or April of I said April year? of last year. Of oh, last year. I missed the last yeah. year part. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's just like, oh, it's going to take years to recover and so forth. And, again, we talked about how well uh, the drug companies came together. We talked about this on the show, how they came together. Spend, spending billions and billions of dollars on R&D and cooperating with their, their own research and how it, it's just, we can turn it around. And, and that's why I didn't get too upset about it. Didn't like it, obviously. I don't like uh, wearing the mask or all this other crap that you have to do. Um, but, you know, you do what you have to do. Um, but we got through it. And yeah. and I think by next year at this time, we'll be talking about some other problem because uh, the Delta, you don't even, I, I don't even hear, hear cases or deaths anymore. I mean, it's, I, I think the Delta variance has now been beaten as well. Yeah. And it's, so it makes the news, you know, it's yeah. like, oh, we saw a spike of 10,000. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. and, and you know, what's kind of funny, Chase, is that, um, there's always going to be negative news. Yeah. Could, could you imagine you turn on the TV and it's like, there's nothing on. There's always going to be something negative to talk about. COVID, Afghanistan, the government, uh, you know, budget. Debt I mean, ceiling. Debt yeah. ceiling. All these things. There's, you know, we're going to go from one problem to the other. And when it comes to investing, you can't focus on the problems because you would never invest. You, no. You'd be sitting there in cash for your whole life. Um, but you got to realize what to invest in. And that's why we have the show here. Uh, and realize that, yeah. Every day you turn on the TV, there's going to be some negative news that some producers came up with, some reporters came up with that's going to scare you, but uh, you got to continue on investing. Absolutely. Let's talk about uh, when Apple Pay first launched uh, back in 2014, uh, banks agreed to pay Apple. And I always want to know this number. I yeah. finally found <laughs> it. They agreed to pay Apple 0.15% of each purchase made using Apple Pay. Well, the banks are now working with credit card companies to reduce that amount uh, that Apple will receive for two reasons. First off, Apple agreed not to come up with their own credit card. And since 2019, it has been working with Goldman Sachs on their own credit card. Yeah. <laughs> and then also to second, Apple gets the 0.15% payment on automatic payments like gym memberships and streaming services that reoccur every month for doing nothing. It appears that the banks and the credit card companies are pushing back against Apple and they will be losing some revenue in the future from what is known as the Apple digital wallet. And, you know, I, I was curious on this as well, as you said, and, um, you know, how much of it do they really deserve, I guess? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, 0.15%, so small, but you oh, start but to extrapolate that right. over, you know, <laughs> billions of dollars. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I think it was a interesting uh tool to kind of use i know it actually grew in popularity during the pandemic as as people were you know not wanting to touch the credit card machine and yeah. use cash so i know it actually probably helped apple and apple pay but now i i, I am interested especially when they launched their own credit card like hey that's not fair yeah yeah and and again now that I think of the millions and millions of people that that do streaming services gym memberships that that oh yeah don't get used and so forth and apple just sits there with a handout collecting that money now 
I do uh, think it's a good thing when you go to the store and just put it out there and, and there it is. But I, I agree with the, the banks and the credit card companies. No, you shouldn't collect on the streaming services. And, and I will say it, it isn't. I mean, Apple has done a great job coming up with these extremely passive ways to do nothing and collect money. Yeah. I mean, you talk about this, you talk about the the, uh, the store as well, where if people have in-game purchases, like if you're, I know that Fortnite, for example, was suing Epic Games is the, okay. the other name they own, Fortnite, uh, was suing Apple because they said, well, hey, you're not doing anything. They're buying right. the, the in-game purchase, and Apple wants, a, I think, a, what was it, 30% cut? Or, I yeah, I think it was 30%. Amount, yeah. But it's quite high. And, I mean, they, they've done a great job coming up with these ways. <laughs> I know. I was like, hey, we're Apple. If you want in, you gotta got to right. pay us. So right. I, I do wonder how that is going to impact their service revenue, which has kind of been, uh, I'm going to say, the, the darling of the company. Right. Oh, it's reoccurring. It's so great. It's service revenue. It's software. I wonder how this kind of shining light on these two matters is going to impact the the future service revenue for Apple. Yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. I used to use the Apple Pay all the time, and I, 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 I use my phone less. I, I get kind of worried, you know, what is going through that phone? What's on there? What can people see? And then I got out of the habit, and now I just use my credit card. And sometimes I slip way back 10 years ago. <laughs> listen to this. I try to give them my credit card to run my credit card. They kind of look at me like, no, put it in the machine. <laughs> I thought you were going to say use cash. And I was going to say, what is that? <laughs> uh, I use cash once in a while, not very often. <laughs> well, hey, you got to use the credit cards because you get points and rewards. And oh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I never, uh, I don't want to say never. I hardly use cash unless it's for like tipping or, um, you know, I can't, or if they charge you a service fee on the credit card or debit card, then I'll use cash. But, yeah. you know, it is uh, it is something interesting to kind of keep an eye on for Apple. And actually, interesting point, too, uh, Google Apple Pay, they do not collect 0.15%. Google Apple Pay? Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> what do they call Google Pay? Yeah, Samsung Pay. I, I know. That's why you look at me like, what? what's wrong? Oh, See, yeah. but it's like a, a Kleenex, you know? Yes. I, I mean, Apple's Apple, branded yeah. it so they, well. They've done a great job with that. You're, you're right. But, but Google on their Google Pay, uh, they do not collect that from them. So uh, from the, the, the banks and the credit card companies. So, hey, let, let's talk about one more. we got we got a couple minutes here. Um, I did want to talk about... Um, uh, the ease in the COVID-19 restrictions has been a bad break for Peloton uh, as the workout sessions are declining for the second quarter ending June 30th. Uh, connected subscribers averaged 19.9 workouts per month, per uh, per user per for a month. And that is now from 24.7 workouts per user a month one year ago. That's about a 20% decline. Yeah, and it is it, it, especially troublesome for a growth stock. And it's expected the 19.9 will be even less during the summer months as many users talk about getting out more for hikes and other outdoor activities. So it'll be interesting to see as those summer months what actually happened with Peloton. We don't have the exact numbers on it just yet. And at a cost of $1,495 with the option to pay $39 a month for a live stream and recorded workouts, I wonder if this company has seen its best days, especially, I mean, $30, $39 a month, that's almost like a gym membership. Well, yeah, it, it is, and that's like $500 a year. I mean, and on top of what you paid for the machine. Yeah. And I know people that have them. Love them. They, they love them. But, I mean, the stock has suffered. The stock was, uh, what, over $150 last December. 
Uh, last time I looked at it this past week, it was down about 80, about a 50% decline. I don't think there's much left for this company. And again, I know like, like in our office, Eladia, she says she loves hers in the morning. There's people that still use them, but I think there's going to be less and less people. Now, we do have the winter coming up back east, which maybe that could help them. But still, I mean, your your, your first year cost is $2,000. I mean, yeah. that, that's an awful lot of money, I think. And it's kind of like we talked about earlier about the Squid, a, Squid Games, whatever the show's yeah. called. I don't even know. I haven't seen it. Um, you got to watch it yeah. just to get your own opinion on that. You, but, you, you, know, wait, you got Netflix, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, uh, I I don't understand some people's preferences. Like. I, I don't understand the whole spin cycle thing. I was talking to my buddy yesterday, and he's like, oh, I went to you know, a spin class, and it was so fun because you know, there's like music going, and it's like you know, kind of competitive against one another. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I kind of get that more than the Peloton thing, but I hate riding a bike. It's so uncomfortable. I know. And, it and my I, butt. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> it's not a fun fun workout. Like I, I just I don't understand the allure to it, but I mean, like I said, people love it. So yeah. I, I – I, I'm missing the missing the trend, and I, I've tried it. I, I don't like it, so yeah. um, just not for me. And I, I know there's other people that feel the same way out there, and especially at this cost, I just wonder how much more this company can grow. And and people, oh, well, they got the subscription revenue again. That's a big thing on Wall Street right now. Right. Is oh, the reoccurring revenue. Well, guess what? For it to become non-reoccurring, people just have to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so well. I, I I don't know how much I would value this company at, especially I, I think the kind of like what we saw with Zoom, I think the pandemic pulled forward a lot of that demand. Yeah. And I think that future growth is going to be a lot less than was originally anticipated because it was all pulled forward. And, and actually I looked online, there are used ones out there you can buy. And actually uh, a little bit of problems at home with the bride to be because she wants one. I say, hi, ah, you're not going to like it. Costco, they have one. Costco has one? They have a knockoff. I forget what it's called. Really? Yeah. But do you get the streaming? Because that's what she likes, too. She I likes believe the, so. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So, well, maybe she's not listening to this. So, I can still kind of like, oh, nobody else is using them. So, <laughs> you know, but but uh, maybe I'll check out Costco. Costco. Yeah, I'm so, trying to see if I can find see it. See if I can find it there. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't so, know. But, but again, I'm just kind of pointing out that with the company, uh, growth company, I think their growth has seen better days. And, and I, I, you can see the stock much, much lower, I'd say, a year from now. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It looks like it's called the Echelon. It's it's $1,099, but it includes one-year United membership. Not exactly what that means, but... Right. I've actually heard some of the people, the uh, the, the exercise people that, that, that do the videos, I guess a couple of them have become celebrities. We're on Dancing with the Stars or something. Wow. Yeah, so they, they become celebrities because, like, wow, they got this super high-energy personality, and, and they become stars. But uh, well, well, we'll check that out. Maybe for Christmas. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. All I right. bet you but, she'll use it for a few months and then hate it. <laughs> well, well yeah. <laughs> and there it sits. Uh, and actually, I saw pictures. When I was reading about this. I saw pictures of ones in the uh, bedroom uh, as a clothes rack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty expensive, a $1,500 clothes rack. And then I wonder if you still, then, you know, and here's the other thing, too, and then we'll get to the calls, is that people will forget to stop the monthly payments. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And, and Peloton may collect those for months if... You know, who knows? Maybe maybe even years with people. Yeah, I, I still haven't stopped that $39 a month. Yeah. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Yeah, hi, guys. Tell you what, the stock I'm looking at is General Motors. Okay. And um, go ahead. 
you know, I don't own it, but, you know, last week they came out saying they were going to double their revenues, and the stock's pretty much down about 20%, I think, off its highs. Hmm. Okay. You know, and I'm kind of funny, uh, surprised you don't own it, John. I know you've been a listener of the show for quite a while. I thought for sure you had General Motors in your portfolio, but uh, let's kind of talk about General Motors a little bit. Uh, their symbol is GM. They are obviously in the industry of auto manufacturers. Uh, short percent of float is only about 1.6%. They are owned 83% by institutional share by ownership. Uh, we do see that uh, the P.E. ratio is 6.8. That's well below the industry at 19.4. Price of sales, 0.6. Half the industry at 1.2. Price of book value, 1.7 versus 2.2. And price of cash flow for General Motors, also looking very good at 3.2. Versus 8.6. And we love the peg ratio, which is the price earnings uh, divided by the growth. How much you're paying for the future growth. Not much for General Motors. It is 0.9 versus 2.7 for the industry. Now, earnings per share over the last year have climbed by 287%, well above the industry at 70.9. The five-year growth on earnings is flat, about the same as the industry at 0.1%. Sales growth uh, for the one year had increased by 20.6%, also well above the industry at four. And the five-year average uh, sales are down 2.9% for General Motors, but it was down by 6.2 for the industry, so looking pretty good there. Uh, General Motors still not paying a dividend. I, I thought they would come up with it by now. Uh, maybe the, we'll probably be hearing pretty soon, I guess, maybe another couple of weeks, the uh, earnings report coming out. Maybe then they'll announce it then. We'll see. Looking at the balance sheet for uh, General Motors, we see a current ratio of 1.1. That is below the industry at 1.6, but I'm okay with that. Debt equity, 220 versus 0.8. But keep in mind, a lot of that does include refinancing or financing of cars. Uh, we do see that the net margin, the net profit margin for General Motors, 9.1%. That is better than the industry at 6%. Return on equity is very good for General Motors, 24.3. Double the industry at 122 uh, Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so let me start here with the current price, $58.57. 52-week high here, $64.30, and the low is $30.95. Year-to-date, I mean, the stock's up about 41%, so it's done well, I, I think, as the whole EV wave has occurred. I still don't think GM gets the, the type of respect they deserve. No. I mean, especially at their investor, they you already mentioned doubling the revenue. They also talked about expanding margins as well. So I, I saw one of the uh, analysts talk about double revenue, but also triple. I don't know if it was EBIT or just their earnings per share, but either way, I mean, to be able to expand that far in the next 10 years, that's a huge, huge growth rate. So um, I I like that. They've also talked about expanding different areas. It's not just the old auto manufacturer. You know, they talked about their company Bright Drop, which is more kind of business services. They've talked about other services that they can implement the car, including crews. And they've also talked about GM defense. So, I mean, they're really kind of setting up different business lines, which if they can execute on this, this stock, I think, is severely undervalued. And I talk about that because, I mean, you look at where it's trading. If I look out to December 2022, the estimated earnings per share is $6.83. I mean, that gives us a target sell price of $113.38. And the forward PE is just about 8.6. I mean, the stock is just, I don't think, respected enough, right. especially if they can execute on what they've discussed. And, and John, the big problem is, will they get beyond the automotive side? Because they're still trading as an automotive company, 
and they're looking more at being like a, almost a software company on wheels. I've heard them talk about with the crews and everything else they have going on. I forgot about GM Defense, another area that that uh, does very well for them. So I know they've they've up what up, gosh, fifteen uh, percent over the last week or so on their announcement. Uh, and I was wondering mm-hmm. too, Mary Barra, how old she is because she talked about twenty thirty. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping she, she'll still be she around. She's a great young. CEO. She looks pretty young. I think uh, so. Well, yeah, I'm sixty five, so she's a. Uh, uh, my age, she's fifty nine. Oh, fifty nine. Yeah, so she's young. Oh, yeah, she got another ten years ago for easy. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, I, I I don't know if I like it at this price because I feel that with a current price up to fifty eight dollars a share, it made it maybe a mm-hmm. little bump there. So maybe be patient with it. What do you think? And uh, and I was gonna say, I call me crazy here. This is probably gonna upset some listeners that are looking at mm-hmm. GM. I don't know if they're gonna re-implement their dividend. Really? I I think that they're trying to shift the tone of General Motors and and. Uh, become more of a growth company, and uh, you know, I think they think that they have more valuable use for that cash investing in EV and AV rather than paying out a dividend. Which I think, as I said, is going to upset some of the prior shareholders. But I mean, the reason I say this is if you listen to the conference calls, listen to the executives talk, they've really tried to drop anything related to the dividend. Right. At right. first, they're like, "Oh, when's the dividend going to come back?" And and now it it doesn't even come up in the conference calls. So. I'm not sure if they're trying to kind of move on from that and invest and then perhaps pay that down the road, but that's just kind of my my feeling on the dividend right now. And it doesn't upset me in terms of the stock right. because it's a great value. Right. So you know, hold mm-hmm. a business that's nice when they pay a dividend. Um, I don't know what the dividend costs them. I think last time I looked, uh, I think they had like $20, $25 billion in no. cash. I want to say that the dividend costs them about $4 billion a year. These are guesstimates, so don't use them. I actually re- researched them. But it, it's a possibility, but I still think they'll want to try to do both. Yeah. Take care of the old, not old investors, but the normal investors that like the car companies, give them a small, maybe 2% dividend, but yet still keep that money to grow crews. And, and I, I also heard them talking about doing battery uh, plants and so mm-hmm. forth. So they're, so they're really an innovative company. So we'll see. We like the company, John. I just think that if you buy it now at this level, you may be regretting it maybe in a, a week or two because it pulled back a little bit. Well, it might be one to sell puts against it and wait for it to come down, I guess. That could be an idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All righty? All right. Thanks. All right, John. Good time to you. Have a good, uh, good weekend here. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Listen up to Oceanside and speak with Carl. Carl, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Uh, a few years ago, I stayed at the Rod Rock Hotel in Vegas, and uh, I looked at the chart. It says ninety percent of institution owns the stock. So, what is good for the institution should be good for me too. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> I bought it. It is in the uptrend. I'm wondering. Uh, what is the value of the Red Rock? Okay. Well, let's see what we can uh, see here for Red Rock Resorts. Uh, I like their symbol. Very easy to remember. R, R, R. Uh, they do have a short percent of uh, float, about 6.9% short. Uh, you're right. About 93.3% is owned by institutionals, which could be good, could be bad as well sometimes. Can, can work against you. We do see a P-E ratio of 39.8, which is high. But the industry of resort and casinos don't even have a P.E. ratio. So that's a positive there. Price of sales looks good. 3.4 versus 3.8. 
price to tangible book value is over a hundred, but however, the industry doesn't even have a price to tangible book value, so that is good. Price of cash flow, 8.7, that is positive. The industry is over a hundred there. We do see on the earnings per share uh, growth of the last year, nothing there, nothing for the industry. We do so over the last five years, Red Rock has grown at 19.7%. Uh, industry, nothing there. Uh, we do see on the sales growth uh, for the one year, up 13.7%, beating the industry down 10.3. Uh, sales over the five-year time has increased by 1% when the industry saw a decline of 10.9. Now, this is not good here, Carl, because looking at the five-year earnings per share, growth estimate, I do see a hundred and six, wait, what was I looking at? Oh, I missed the peg ratio. How did I miss the peg ratio? That's what I thought I was going to do. Uh, the peg ratio does look good. It's 0.2 versus 5.5. The five-year earnings per share growth estimates 165% versus 38. So that does look pretty good. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, let's take a look at the balance sheet. A nice current ratio here of four versus 2.2. Debt to equity, not very good. This looks like 800, which is about the same as the industry. And usually casinos have high debt, which worries me, especially during slowdowns and changes in the industry. And I do wonder, two of these companies with the all, the online gaming and gambling, is that going to take away from the casinos? We'll see on that going forward. Uh, we do see that they have about 8.1% uh, uh, in intangibles. That's pretty good. Net profit margin, 65 uh, the industry is a negative 16.6, so that's a positive compared to them. Even the return on equity for this company looks pretty good, 28.2. The uh, industry is a negative 17.6. So uh, kind of mix on this company. I think it's going to depend on what you come up with, Chase, going forward for uh, Red Rock. And I will say real quick on the, on the debt to equity, a lot of times when I look at the casino companies, I look at the hotel companies, resort companies, uh, they're what we call asset light. Oh, so yeah. they don't own the properties. They they rent lease the properties, them. they lease them, and then they, they run the operations. So a lot of times these asset light companies have these really bad debt to equities, and it's just something we don't feel comfortable with. It, it, it's a different business model, and a lot of these companies I think will be fine with the high debt to equity, but it still just doesn't fit what we do. Right. So it, it's it's I don't want to say it end all for the company at an 800 percent debt to equity because i i'm i'm assuming they're an asset light business but uh, just want to point that out there that they might be okay but it just doesn't really fit into our criteria of businesses we look at and, and chase one thing a, an investor can do is kind of look at that say okay well let me see what the debt really is what is the real cash flow mm -hmm. are they paying down this debt so the return equity uh, i'm sorry debt to equity is something you want to look at it we say is a negative but if you're going to understand the numbers, and we're trying to do a quick analysis yeah. on, live on air here for people to try to point them in the right direction. But that's where you go to say, well, okay, but I like this company. Let me really check to see is their debt increase and decreasing? How's their cash flow? You know, these, these other things. And factors. they pay their interest with yeah. their cash flow, yeah. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. So I just want to point that out, Carl. It, it's not an, an end all for, for a company because they are asset light. Just wanted to make sure you understand that this type of business is a little bit different when they operate that, that, uh, Type of business. But let's take a look at the numbers here further. The, the current price for the Red Rock Resorts, $53.83. 52-week high here, $55.82. And the low, wow, $17.31. Year-to-date, the stock's up 115%. So it's done very, very well. But if I go forward to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $2.17. What gives the target sell price of just $36.02? So... Uh, I, I do worry that like a lot of the other 
post-pandemic plays, the mm-hmm. recovery plays that that this stock may have gone too far. I don't think the value's there any longer as the reopen trade, as we'll call it, as I think, as I said, gone too far. far and I, I think this business is no longer a great value as it was at the beginning of the year. And, and Carl, did you say you stayed at the Red Rocks uh, in Vegas yeah. or something? I liked it because it was a little bit away from the rustle and dazzle over there from the strip. It was more quiet. And uh, I liked it. But I bought it. I'm now a little bit in profit, but uh, uh, maybe I should sell it to keep the profit I have now uh, uh, because uh, it might, uh, you know, uh, might go lower again, so we'll put the stop loss someplace. So yeah, I, I liked it. That's why I looked into it. Yeah, and I mean, based on what we're seeing, it does look like it's pretty richy value. Not to say it won't go higher, but it sounds like you have a profit. Maybe what you want to do is is sell that, get out of that, and find another business trading around you know ten, twelve times earnings that's on sale as opposed to being fully priced or perhaps overpriced. Alrighty. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Okay, Carl. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, I, I do wonder about the gambling uh, situation because, again, you got these companies now that are doing all the gambling online. They make it so easy. Is that going to prevent some people saying, well, I don't need to go to Vegas anymore. I don't need to go to... New Jersey. I, I don't know. I'm, but Vegas is so it, uh, different. You, you still know? get excited about Vegas. Yeah I, guess, I guess. I think that one's a little bit different. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brand. Chase, how can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I'd like to hear um, what you think about a stock called Roche Intertechnology, symbol VSH, their electronics producer. Okay. And do you hold that or looking to buy it? No, waiting for your opinion. Okay. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that because a lot of people, they will buy it on Friday and then call us on Saturday. What do you think? So I'm, I'm glad you called in first and then maybe buy it on Monday. Well, we'll see here. <laughs> well, I couldn't find a definitive answer what the future earnings are supposed to be. There's like a 30, 40% different cent difference on what what reporting agency you look at. So that's what I'm concerned about. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> let's, let's take a look at Vache Intertechnology, symbol is VSH. Uh, we do see not much on the short side, 1.2%. They are owned by institutionals, 80.6%. Not a great start here on the P.E. ratio, 24.5, but the industry is at 27.6. We do see price of sales, 9.1 versus 9.8. That's a positive. Price of tangible book value, 7.9 versus 18, or I'm sorry, 8.1. That is good. And also price of cash flow for Vache looks pretty good too at 19.3 versus 32. Uh, the peg ratio, which is price earnings divided by growth, 0.8 uh, versus 1.3. And the lower that number, the better. So that's another positive. Now, their earnings have grown for the past year by 53.5%. That's a good growth rate, but the industry was up 98.8. The five-year growth rate for Vache, though, was 39%. That does beat the industry growth of 26.5. Looking at sales, Sales for Vache are up for the past year, 32.7, above the industry at 22.5. And the five-year average on sales for Vache is 33.5 versus 19.3. And the five-year earnings per share growth estimate, 28.6 for Vache. That's above the industry at 20.5. They do not pay a dividend. I believe they used to pay a dividend as well. It wasn't a very big one. 
but I think they cut that. We'll see if they bring that back. Look at the balance sheet. Uh, I know Vachet's always had a pretty good balance sheet. So they got a current ratio of 5.4 versus 3.1. So apparently they're sitting on a lot of liquid cash right now. You may see that invested in the future. Maybe they'll do a stock buyback or something. Debt to equity looks pretty good, 10% uh, versus 20% for the industry. Uh, intangible assets, about 11.6% of the balance sheet or the assets versus 10 for the industry. We do see a net profit margin. Wow, 37.2 for Vachet versus 27.5 for the industry. And return to equity is 28.2 versus 25.5. That's a pause as well. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Vachet, $20.16. Fits two week high, $26.50. At 52 week lows, $15.81. Year to date here, uh, pretty much flat. Stock's down 1.4%. Uh, market cap for the business, uh, close to about $3 billion. So it is a, a pretty small company here. But if we look forward to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $2.30. Gives a target sell price of $38.18. And I mean, that looks quite attractive. The numbers look good for it. It just seems to be a stock, though, that just always trades around 15 yep. to 25. And it just kind of stays in that range. But um, and and kind of as you pointed out there, Wayne. I mean, the, the range is, is huge. I mean, a dollar sixty-eight to two seventy. That's that's a yeah. huge, huge difference. So somebody's uh, going to be wrong. Exactly. Yes, yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to be wrong there. So I, I don't like to see that big of a range. Um, you know, I, I I'm just, I just don't feel comfortable with it. I, I guess yeah. is the way I would leave it. Yeah, I, I think okay. it, it's not on sale. Uh, and it's kind of like, and, and we've talked about this before, is is just buying something to buy something. Um, it, you're just not getting a good, good deal on this. Not to say it won't go higher, but there's it, just not like, yeah, it's okay. But I, I would pull back to fifteen dollars would be more more enticing. I agree. I think. Yeah, I, I think that that's when you buy things on sale. That's the time to buy. Right. <laughs> Already. Can, can I ask a general stock market question? Sure, Wayne. Go ahead. Uh, what do you think is going to have a bigger negative effect on the market? Higher oil prices or higher interest rates? Uh, they're both so right going to happen. we got both. Yeah, they're, they're both <laughs> going to happen. So I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think yeah. it's higher interest rates. I think yeah. the higher oil prices, uh, I think companies will be able to kind of pass that along to consumers. And I think it's going to create inflation, which yeah. in, then in theory will drive interest rates higher. <laughs> so they're somewhat correlated, I, I believe. And the other problem too, because you talk about the general market, <clears throat> we, we've talked about about five companies make up about 23% of the market. Well, we right. know that rising interest rates is a headwind for technology companies. And those five companies are technology. So if they start having problems and pulling back, you know, 10, 15%, that will, in my opinion, drive down the whole market because energy is probably about maybe 5% of the whole well, market. Well, and I'll say the thing about oil prices, yeah. it's not really going to impact Facebook. And it's yeah. not really going to impact Apple. It's somewhat in the transportation costs, but yeah. uh, I, I don't think it'll be as big of an impact for some other businesses So as it will be for some other businesses. So to answer your question there, I, I still think interest rates, because as Brent said, yeah. I think as those interest rates climb, that kind of reduces the future value of those companies. And I, I think that's what's going to really hurt the growth stocks is rising interest rates. So oil prices, not a benefit to many companies, but I think rising interest rates, bigger factor. Yep. All righty, Wayne. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good day. Appreciate your help. You too. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Two four seven three. Right now, about eight forty. Time to talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? 
Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I like the topic this morning because I think a lot of people just blindly refinance. And you're talking about refinancing before retirement. Is this a good thing or not? So explain to us. Yeah, so um, in the last 18 months or so, interest rates have been really low. I've talked about this before on the show. Um, a lot of people are refinancing. And um, in many cases, I think that's a good thing. If you can get a lower rate, uh, you know, it helps out your cash flow. Um, you can save more. You can withdraw less from accounts. It's usually a good thing. Um, but but something that comes up um, with people that I'm working with is, you know, a lot of people I work with are planning on retiring soon, maybe within a couple of years or so. And sometimes I see people and they're getting ready to retire and they have just refinanced um, to get the low rate and, and everything. But in some cases, they just refinanced into a 15 year loan. Generally, when you're, you're refinanced, it's either a 15 or 30 year that you're looking at. But um, people like the 15 year loan because generally you can get a lower rate than the 30 year and also you're going to pay it off sooner so you pay um, less interest over time than than you would a 30. but the situation especially when you're getting ready to retire in a couple years you have to be careful of that 15 years is going to have um, quite a bit higher monthly payments than the 30 does and so you might be able to afford those payments now while you're working, but then if you retire, that cash flow is going to be completely different. You don't have the wages to sustain that payment anymore. Now you have that income coming from Social Security, IRA, withdrawals, Roth, trust distributions, rental income, whatever it is, but it's coming from a completely different source. So the cash flow is completely different. Um, so it's something to be aware of. Uh, also, in many cases, people retire early, which is not a bad thing in itself, but that might mean you don't have Social Security income yet to help with those payments. Also, if you retire before 65, you're not eligible for Medicare yet, so that means you might have to have COBRA health insurance or, or get health insurance through the open market, which is a lot more expensive than Medicare. Um, so extra costs there. Uh, if your retirement income is coming from mostly pre-tax accounts like an IRA, all of those withdrawals to pay that mortgage are going to be fully taxable, um, which increases your taxable income and causes you to pay more taxes. So when you look at the tax impact, the opportunity cost, the cash flow, the withdrawals from these accounts, in many cases, um, that 15-year loan, although it has a lower interest rate, ends up costing you more money holistically than a 30-year loan. So you want to be really careful about the terms of the mortgage that you refinance into if you are getting ready to retirement or, you know, um, any situation that you're going to look at going forward. And I was going to ask, what what is the difference? So, yeah, I hate to put you on the spot here, but I think I saw the average 30-year right now is like 299 or something, something crazy. <laughs> but, I mean, for a 15-year, I mean, what's the typical interest rate? Is it like 2.5? Like, what what's the interest spread? Uh, I would say the spread, um, it might be somewhere between one-eighth and three-eighths. Uh, mortgages are sold in eighths, so... Uh, 3%, 3.125%, 3.25%, 3.375%. So they're sold in eighths. So if you get a 15 relative to a 30, you're probably going to save one to maybe three eighths of a percent on that. But, um, you know, taking out the retirement factor, when you're looking at a mortgage, as you said, Chase, these interest rates are really low um, across the board. And so I like 30-year mortgages better than the 15-year, even though the interest rate might be slightly higher, 
because the net, that uh, payment is a whole lot lower. And so when you look at the net present value of those cash flows that's required to pay that mortgage, it's actually less than the 15-year. But it's especially more important when you're getting ready to retire and your income structure is going to totally change. And Harrison, I think a lot of times the uh, brokers come in, the the uh, mortgage brokers like, oh, this is going to save you money, and this is so much better to have your mortgage paid off and stuff. This is why it's so important. That's just one factor of the overall financial plan and the estate plan of people. This is why you need a good financial planner to say, oh, you know what, the mortgage broker, he might think it's great just because the rate is lower and you'll pay it off faster, but it doesn't fit for your situation for your retirement plan. That's exactly right. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends who are mortgage brokers, and um, I, I try to tell them to use this net present value way of explaining how mortgages truly cost as opposed to, oh, you're going to break even in so many years or whatever based on the cash flow. And, um, you know, it, it's a totally different way of looking at it. But the way I look at it is it's a holistic approach, not just the monthly payments that you make, well, how are we going to make those payments? Where is that cash flow coming from? What's the tax impact of those cash flows? How is that going to change over time? Uh, what's the tax deduction that you're getting from the interest if you itemize? Um, there's a whole there's a whole lot more things you need to understand when you're looking at a total financial plan as opposed to just looking at a mortgage. Yeah, and it's not that mortgage brokers are trying to do the wrong thing. They just say, well, gee, the rate's going to go down. It's going to be less time, so therefore it's better they don't understand how to use net present value, how to look at the whole situation. That's not their job. That's where you have a good financial planner. And again, as a financial planner, uh, we do have at Wilson Asset Management where they can call you during the year. They pay a special you know, fee that they're kind of on retainer, you're on retainer. Uh, so they call you for things like this. And you can actually do the calculating saying, yeah, this is good for you. Like, you know what? The rate's lower, but it's not going to be better for you. So. Yeah, and I can explain the numbers on how that works. And over time, it, it really adds a lot of value for people. So, again, it's something that people out there listening should really be aware of when you're thinking about refinance. Refinancings are good. Um, I don't have a problem necessarily with people having mortgages in retirement as long as you have the income to cover it. But you want to make sure you're you're selecting the right terms in order to do that refinance. That's correct. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you Monday morning. Thanks for calling in this morning. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that is Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. He is a CFP. He's on a salary at our company, so it's not like he tries to sell product. He's there to be your true financial planner, the man that's in your corner to help you do the best financial decisions going forward. You want a free consultation with him, you can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call and talk to him directly at 858 546 4306. That's 858-546-4306. You do that, listen for the prompt. His name comes up. And I think he's number five, I think, on the prompt. But whatever it is, listen to it. I, <laughs> I always try to guess that. I shouldn't guess that. Just when you hear Harrison, whatever number is, hit that, and you can talk to him directly. 858-546-4306. Well, I don't know if you give out the website. They can also contact us on the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I okay, did. perfect. I kind of that, flipped it this time. That's easier. That's easier. Yeah. For some people, some people just want to pick up that phone oh, and know, just dial it, you know. But it, but it's easier to remember smartinvesting2000.com yeah. than nine numbers. Yeah. So, or 10 numbers. Nine numbers? 10. 10 numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, phone number seven plus three. Area code. Yeah. yeah plus seven, seven. 10 numbers. All right. All right. Phone numbers here 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Investor with uh, Brent Chase. How can we help you? 
Morning, guys. Uh, my Padre stock is in the toilet till next year. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> L- looking at a new uh, mineral company, and they uh, specialize in natural gas. Uh, it's Falcon Minerals. I was wondering if you could run the numbers behind it. All right. Well, let's do that for you again. The company is Falcon Minerals, symbols FLM, and they are in the oil and gas EP industry. Uh, not much short, short on this company, only about 1.6. That's good, but also not much institutional either, about 63%. I thought that would be a little bit higher. Uh, there is no price to earnings versus 45.2 for the industry. So that tells me over the last 12 months, no earnings for Falcon Materials. We do see price of sales are expensive, 5.3 versus 3.4. Price to book value, 1.9. That is better than the industry at 2.8. Price of cash flow checks in at 8.4 versus 9.9. And the peg ratio is 5.9 versus 12.5. Now it is better than the industry, but still, 5.9 is kind of an expensive pig ratio. Uh, I'm not too excited about that. Now, <clears throat> look over the past on the earnings. They've had no earnings growth for the one year or the five year. We do also see that the sales growth for the one year is 12.7%, not quite as good as the industry at 14.2. The five year earnings per share growth estimates only 3.1 versus 5.6, so that's not a positive. Now, the exciting part here that you probably see is they pay a dividend, and not just a dividend, but a dividend with a 10.9% yield, which is above the industry at 2.5. The problem is the payout ratio is not material because they don't have earnings to pay this dividend. The problem could also be that, will they cut this dividend down the road because they don't have the earnings to sustain that 60 cent per year dividend? Uh, that would worry me some somewhat there. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, uh, we do see a current ratio of 1.7. That's okay versus industry at 2. Debt to equity 0.3 or 30% versus 40% for the industry. Uh, we do see that the net profit margin is a negative 5.7 versus a positive 1.4. And return equity is a negative 2 versus 9.3. Tim, I don't like what I'm seeing so far here. Chase, you got anything positive? Well, I was going to say, too, on the, the dividend yield, I, I wonder if it's a special dividend because I look at the dividend one-year change up 400%. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's just not an ordinary thing to increase your dividend 400%. So I wonder if it was a special thing that they, they, they provided. I don't know if that's something that not necessarily they even cut it, but if right. it was just a one-time payment. So and If you're losing money, why would you pay a special one-time dividend? Well, and it, it looks Our like... Uh, well, I, yeah. I will say it's in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. So last year was a very difficult year. They may have sold off some assets or something, generated some cash flow, and said, oh, we'll give this back to our shareholders. So that's something potential. And I I, I say that because I, I know what's happening with the earnings going forward, so I can kind of talk about <laughs> the numbers ahead. So, yeah. But I do want to start with the, the current price here, $5.50, 52-week high, $5.66, and the low here, $1.82, of course, with rising oil and, and gas prices, this company has been a, a huge benefactor. As year-to-date, it's up about close to 90%. Market cap, though, tiny, $258 oh, million, dollars, so very, very small. But if I go out to December 2022, they are estimated to make money. So I knew they're not <laughs> going to continue to lose money. Uh, 34 cents is what analysts are looking at here. What gives a target sell price, unfortunately, though, Tim, of just $5.64. So it would be in the hold category in terms of the valuations. Um, to be honest, I, I, I just don't think it's really worth the, uh, the energy here. Oh, good, good little <laughs> pun there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of these energy companies, again, you said the low is, what, $1.82? Yeah. I mean, that was probably the time to buy these companies. They probably looked so sick back then, it was hard to do that. 
but it seems now some of these are becoming fully valued. I know the ones that we have in our portfolio, they're, they're really pushing that full value level as well. So not the time to be buying these companies, Tim. Uh, if you missed them, kind of be patient. We'll see what happens. Although we do think energy is going to keep uh, going up in price. So, all righty. Thank you very much. Sounds like it's like the Padres. You know, we missed 2021, <laughs> but we're, we're back in it in 2022, maybe. We'll start all over again guys? in, what, April, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Very soon here. Catchers and pitchers will report in February. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling, Tim. You have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 2473. Let's go back out to San Diego and speak with Rose. Rose, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi. I wanted to ask you about Richardson's Electronics. The symbol is R E L L. Okay. And it's you? Spiked up here. No, I don't own it. Okay. I'm thinking of buying it because I like the dividend. Um, it's 2.3. And uh, it's spiked up here recently, and I don't know why i'd like to see it come back down to around ten dollars but anyway i wanted your thoughts on it yeah well let's take a look at uh, richardson electronics uh symbol is r-e-l-l uh, only two percent on a point two percent the float so no concerns uh with short shares we do also see institutional ownership 55.2 not a good start here on the p-e ratio rose it's 27.6 that's well above the industry at 20 price of sales however does look good 0.8 versus one Price to book value, 1.3. That's very good because the tangible price uh, to book value for the industry is at 23.4. No price of cash flow versus 11.6. Looking at the peg ratio, I see 1.4 versus 16.5. That's a positive. Now, I do not see any earnings growth for the one-year or the five-year. But on the sales side, I do see for the one-year, sales have grown by 14.9%. When the industry grew by 20.1%. In the five-year average, they're up 5% when the industry fell by 3.7. Now, you're right, they do pay a 2.1% dividend. However, the payout ratio is very high. They use 184.6% that earnings to pay that out versus 29.9 for the industry. Now, again, they could have had some accounting issues here where they had to, you know, maybe have some write-offs or something, but you want to check, can they afford that dividend? It's only 24 cents per share, but why is the payout ratio so high? You want to get the answer to that question. We do see that they have on the balance sheet a current ratio, very good, 4.2 versus 2.6. Debt to equity, zero for Richardson Electronics. That's a positive versus 50% for the industry. And we see net profit margin, 0.9 versus 4.9 for the industry. And return to equity is 1.4 versus 12.6. And those numbers kind of tell me there's something else going on, on the accounting side, which is why that payout ratio looks so strange. Chase, what about the numbers going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Richardson Electronics, $11.57, 52-week high, $12.45. And the low, well, that's $4.10. So it's up 152% year-to-date. I mean, it's done very, very well here, Rose. Problem I see, market cap is just $154 million. So it, it is a tiny, tiny company. And that's a big problem for us because I don't see any analyst estimates mm-hmm. going forward. So I, I can't really derive anything. You're kind of on your own here. If you were looking at buying this, there, there's no real, I'm going to say guidance, which is always a difficult thing for investors because ah, it's hard. And I, I'm also not surprised by that because you talk about the institutional ownership only being about 55%. So it just doesn't seem like it has that, that adoption by the, the, the institutions just yet, which 
uh, I said, kind of le- leaves you to, to fly solo here. And, and Rose, mm-hmm. where'd you find where'd you find this company? Where'd you hear about it? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> 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 I just don't remember. I wished I, I I was trying to figure that one out while I was on hold. <laughs> where did I find this? <laughs> Maybe you were dreaming one night and just came up with it. Woke up the next morning like, oh, what about Richardson Electronics? <laughs> <laughs> There you go. That's a good one. Yeah. So, well, obviously, we're not excited about it. So, you have to come up with another one for us next week. All right. Okay, Rose. Will do. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting looking at those smaller companies. And it's always hard to kind of, I mean, we can't buy them because we would move the market, especially $154 Oh, yeah. But there's been some small caps that are interesting. This one, I I just don't have enough info on. Yeah. And the thing when you buy a small cap company like that, even though the numbers may look good, if you have no institutional ownership or no analysts following it, sometimes it's hard for that company to move because you, you it's almost like a, a meme stock is what you need. You need a, b- a bunch of indi- individual investors say like, wow, this is great to drive that share price. But if nobody's talking about it, it's not on the business channels, it's not in, in Barron's or Wall Street Journal, um, it, it, many times a good company can languish for years, yeah. uh, even though they have strong fundamentals, being a small yeah. $150 million market cap company. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But uh, I did want to take a few minutes here, uh, yeah. if that's oh, all yeah. right. Yeah, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, uh, month of October already. Gosh, time just flies by. I did want to talk about my, my charity for, for a couple of minutes here. It's called the Fighters Fight Foundation. And uh, we're actually running a T-shirt competition right now on social media. Uh, you know, I think the T-shirts are pretty cool. For those on Facebook, I'm wearing it right yep. now. Uh, pretty comfy. But uh, if you actually go to our website, you know, donate thirty dollars. We'll send you a free T-shirt. And if you post that on Facebook, Instagram, link, LinkedIn as well, and tag us on it, uh, your name will be entered into a raffle. And if you win, it's a hundred dollar gift card to for the San Diego restaurant gift card. It includes restaurants like oh, yeah. OG's, Sammy's, Capri Blue, and also Pacifica Del Mar. And there's many, many more restaurants on there. So it's a pretty good deal there. You get to help to support women with breast cancer, and also too, you get to help raise awareness during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And you could win that $100 gift card. And, and just to let people know, where is that money going? Uh, it's going towards experiences with women and uh, with breast cancer, obviously. And our holiday season is ramping up. So right now we're working on a Thanksgiving experience for you know Thanksgiving dinner from Honey Baked Ham for women. And then also, too, we're excited about our Christmas experience where we actually kind of, I'm going to say, adopt families here, right. bringing a Christmas tree, Christmas, decoration, or Christmas tree decorations, and also, too, provide presents for their kids so they don't have to worry about you know, the time they can just focus on, on their families. So we're, we're excited about that this year, our second year doing it. And Chase, a hundred percent of the money goes to the, uh, families and so forth. There's no expenses. There's, you know, some of these charities, there's like a 70, 80% and that's all they get. Yeah. Yours is all volunteer. Nobody gets any salary. Yeah, there's no salaries. There's no real administration costs. I mean, I, I still do have to pay for, you know, like website services. Yeah. I, I started kind of paying for some marketing type things because, I, I need to drive that up, but there nobody takes any money from it, which is uh, you know something I'm very proud of. Yep, yep, and it's a great charity. So what's that again, real quick? Fighters Fight Foundation. Go to fightersfightfoundation.com. Great. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss some more detailed investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com and for more daily educational information on investment tips 
Go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by the local entertainer, Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a good weekend. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.